Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Uh, We're going to continue our study this morning in Romans. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, you can open to Romans chapter 7. We'll do a little bit of review there before we make our way into Romans chapter 8. If you need a Bible, there are some on the back table. Okay, so uh, hopefully you're there in Romans chapter 7 at this point. Um, as we Now last week we, we went through the entirety of Romans 7, and uh, specifically there in verses 14 through 25, we read of the Apostle Paul's, and, and truly of any believer, of, of the struggle that often is living the Christian life, seeking to please God, but doing so in the strength of our own flesh. This is often what happens in our life. It's something that happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. We can find ourselves working in our own strength to please God. And, and this then culminates for, for, for Paul in this cry, this culminating cry of, Who will deliver me? This cry becomes the, the cry of any Christian seeking to please God on their own. And so, if you would, let's, let's read together from chapter 7, beginning in verse 19, all the way through verse 25, by way of review this morning. Paul writes, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul answers this question in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you would, pray with me once more. Father, this is your word, your word which you exalt above your own name. We give you thanks for it, Lord, and ask once again that by your spirit you would give us understanding, that, uh, Lord, you would so work in our lives and our hearts here this morning to bring necessary change such that, Lord, we could uh, truly apply this word to our lives We give you thanks for it, Lord, and once again we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, Paul, in these last uh, verses of Romans 7, puts words to the struggle within so many of us as we seek to live the Christian life often in our own strength. And in his question, reminds us then that it is through Christ that victory comes. It's not through us, it's not through our strength, but it is through Christ. Furthermore, it is through Christ and a relationship with Him that brings the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I was talking with someone between the services who uh, commented on the fact that so often in our life, so often in our study of the Word, so often in our consideration of the Gospel, we fail to recognize the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And Paul will bring us to a very direct confrontation with the work of the Holy Spirit here in Romans 8. And so Paul now, as we move into chapter 8, he resumes then this discussion of the Spirit that began back in Romans 7-6 where Paul spoke of living in the newness of the Spirit versus the oldness of the law or the letter. And so he helps us to see then how the work of the Holy Spirit brings freedom in our lives. Now we won't get through all of Romans 8 today for there's far too much for us to consider. Uh, In fact, this chapter that falls within a book of the Bible that many consider to be the most important book, we come now to this chapter that in many respects could be the most important chapter. So as we enter in here to Romans 8, we're considering one of the most important chapters and one of the most important books. And so the things that we'll consider today are very critical for us as believers. Why is that? Well, because after much consideration from the beginning of the book of Romans of the effects of sin and the lives of fallen humanity, and to also then consider the victory that comes through Christ, we come now to chapter 8, which is really about the practical reality of what the work uh, and what that work has accomplished in the life of the believer who now has the Spirit of the living God within them, leading them and guiding them. It's as if in, in chapter 7, in, in some respects, if it were the, the storm that, that's rolling in at, at nightfall that, that tells you this might be a long night as the sun was setting, that chapter 8 then is the sun rising the next morning, bringing hope of life and peace. And so let's look here to the very first verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Paul writes, There is therefore now No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Friends, there are certain verses in the Bible that are profoundly encouraging, and this would be one of them. I trust that it is for you this morning. There are verses that that pierce our conscience, verses that that lift our spirits, and, and this should be one of those verses in your life that for each of us to be able to reflect on this, and we ought to have a good understanding of what this verse truly communicates in order for us to have a, a proper understanding of our faith and what we're called to in our life in Christ. In fact, much of chapter 8 is this way. If you think about this for a moment, Any person who's struggling with fear, with condemnation, any person struggling with depression or anxiety, they are either feeling, and I would submit to you, they are either feeling condemned from something in their past, fearing something in their future, or overwhelmed by something in the present. Yet in this chapter, here in verse 1, we're told that there is no condemnation from things in your past. And as we make our way through this, verse 28 will remind us that God is working currently in your present circumstances for good. And as we make our way towards the end of the chapter, verses 38 and 39 will remind us that moving forward, nothing will separate you from God's love. All of the necessary reminders are here for those who are struggling with condemnation from the past, being overwhelmed in the present, or anxiety over the future. In in every one of those cases here in this chapter, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, says, God's got it. He's got it covered. 
When you come to Christ, and so here's the thing, we'll consider over the next few weeks all of those three areas, but it begins with verse 1. It begins first with recognizing that's what, that what has happened in the past is done. It's taken care of. When you come to Christ, condemnation from the guilt of your sins has been dealt with. Amen? You are now justified. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Some of you need to be reminded of this this morning. Some of you maybe came in here this morning just covered in, in condemnation from the enemy speaking lies into your life, reminding you of things of your past that you've convinced yourself can't possibly be forgiven, can't possibly be over. We are so good at bringing ourselves back under condemnation. And, and we may, when that condemnation comes, we may not say, oh, well, I'm not saved anymore, but we may convince ourselves as we believe those lies from the enemy that, that we aren't good enough, that our past can't be fully forgiven and gone, so we then must work harder to make ourselves righteous so that we can believe that, in fact, we're new and pleasing to God. And we begin to do that in our own strength. And God never asked us to. Commentary from Robert Mounts states this, to insist on feeling guilty is but another way of insisting on helping God with our salvation. How deeply embedded in human nature is the influence of works righteousness. We can so easily bring ourselves back into such works righteousness. What does it mean though that when it says there is therefore now no condemnation? It means that there's no condemnation. It means it's done. It means it's been taken care of. Christian, the sins of your past are covered. And you do not need to live your life feeling guilty about your past once you've given your life to Christ. Now that is an important distinction as verse 1 says that this is for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom. Folks, there is freedom that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. But the question must become, does this Spirit reside in you? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? If you hear that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, if the idea of no longer feeling a sense of condemnation over the things of, of your past, over the sins of your past, if that sounds appealing to you, then you need to surrender your life to Christ. If you have not done that, then you, are, you have yet to be justified. You, are still, you still stand condemned by your sin. You are guilty. On the flip side, if you've given your life to Christ, if you said, yes, God, I believe that you gave your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, for me, for my sins. I believe that he died for me, that I needed forgiveness. I repent. I believe on you, Jesus. Come into my life. My life is yours. Then you can say with confidence today, all that stuff in my past, it's done. It's gone. He took care of it. And then you, because of that, you can experience freedom. Freedom from that condemnation. 
Furthermore, the Holy Spirit in your life brings freedom in in more ways than just that. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Again, back in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, Paul says that, that Christians now serve in the newness of the Spirit, not the oldness of the law. That the Spirit brings life and liberty, which the law could not do. The old letter of the law could not accomplish this. Verse 3, Paul says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What is Paul speaking of here? I'll give you a little bit of an analogy. Many of you took part in the barbecue event that we had on Friday night, albeit it was hot. It was a great night. Uh, Many people came out. We served many plates of barbecue. And you may be already thinking, well, what, what, what does barbecue have to do with this, right? Well, some of you who have cooked it, and in this case, uh, Reggie, you know, he put 100 pounds of pork on that grill at 3 a.m. That was a labor of love, folks. And that cooked all day long, right? And as we made our way into the afternoon, and he's checking it and, and, and you know, putting stuff on it, making all these things happen, things that I don't fully know all about, right? And he's working to, to bring this through to completion. And when the time came, well, we were serving pulled pork. So we knew that we needed to take those big things off of the grill and begin to pull them apart, right? And as we began to do so, the measure in many respects of whether or not it was ready is as we stuck the fork in those things, if it just went right through it. We knew, okay, these are ready. These are ready to be pulled apart. The same thing may be true for those of you who put a pork roast in the crock pot this morning. You put it in there and you know by the time I get home, that's going to be ready to go, right? And if you go home and it is in fact ready and you go to stick a fork in that thing to pull it right out, what's going to happen? That fork, what we hope, is going to go right through it, right? You see, the thing about it is, is that that fork, that tool, is weak through the flesh, It can't accomplish what it is that you want it to do. Does it mean that the tool itself is bad? Does it mean that it's worthless? Does it mean that it does not serve a purpose? No, not at all. It's just not getting the job done. So what do you do? Well, you get something bigger. You get a spatula or something, right? You can go underneath and really support this as you lift it out. I used this analogy many years ago in this chapter, and someone asked me, are you calling Christ and the work of the Spirit a spatula? I said, well, I guess in a sense I am. Because you see, what Christ did was what the law could not do. This tool that was there that was good and served a purpose could not do the job. We needed help. It was weak through the flesh. And so Christ came accomplishing what the law could not. The law wasn't bad, but Christ needed to do that work. And then to go on living life for him, We need help in that as well. And so then we have the Holy Spirit, the helper. Jesus himself says in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. You see, in this moment for the disciples there at this point in time, they were so excited that Jesus was back with them. The sorrow of the crucifixion and his death and his burial was gone. It gave way from the the resurrection and now Jesus, his presence in their lives once again. But, But he said that he had to go. 
And for him to leave was, they were distraught over the thought of it. Lord, don't, don't go. But Jesus said, I must. For when I go, the Holy Spirit will come. And, and in effect, he says, you need the Holy Spirit in your life. And so we now, who are believers, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And because of this, are to walk according to the Spirit. What does that look like? Well, Paul will show us in the following verses, we will see that the Spirit, four things that the Spirit does in our lives, the Spirit will give us a new mindset, a new way of thinking. The Holy Spirit in our lives should transform the way that we think. The Spirit will bring new life. The Spirit gives new life and the promise of eternal life to these bodies which are perishing. The Spirit gives us also new priorities, new objectives in life. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit gives to us a new identity. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So let's review quickly here again. Prior to Christ, the law existed as God's standard. But man struggled to keep and to live by God's standard. God's law then was not bad, but ultimately what it accomplished was not making us good, but rather it allowed us to see that we are not good and in need of someone to save us. In Christ then, we have the perfect man. The one who comes and fulfills God's law in the flesh on our behalf. Paul says there he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. People look at that and they say, oh, you see, Jesus wasn't really fully man. No, Paul was specific in what he said. He said he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning he came in the flesh, fully God, fully man, but not a sinner. So he came and was able to function exactly how we function, but to do so without sin. And so he came and he fulfilled the law on our behalf. And through repentance of our sins and belief in him, we are justified. Our sins are covered. There is no more condemnation. But we still struggle at times, as Paul has pointed out, especially when we seek to live this life in our own strength instead of learning to depend on him. So we realize, I can't do this. And we come to the point where we say, Lord, I need you. Lord, how do I do this? It's you who needs to do this. And the great news is, he says, yes, his spirit is with us, leading us to repentance, yes, but at salvation now in us, helping us to live this life. And so we have freedom through the spirit. And now we see that the spirit gives us a new way of thinking. This process of sanctification begins now with the presence of the Holy Spirit as we begin to think about the things of God and not the things of the flesh, Paul continues in verses 6-8, through eight, saying, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Which do you want? If any of you in here say, I want death over life and peace, I say, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Nobody chooses that. We choose life, we choose peace. And, and Paul right here says, listen, to be carnally minded, that's death. It's going to lead to death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we should say, wow, how do I be spiritually minded then? He goes on because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It means you're an enemy of God when you think this way. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh, I want to please God. I, wanna, I want life. I want peace. And here's the thing, so often we think that to be uh, carnally minded is to be about all the, the terrible, sinful things of this life. The stuff that everybody's like, yeah, that's bad. Even an unbeliever's going to go, yeah, don't do that, that's bad. 
And, and, and we sort of think in terms of, well, that, that must be sin then. Well, indeed it is. But it doesn't stop there. Rather, to be carnal simply means to be fleshly. It means to be about the things of this world. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul writes that we should set our mind on things above. That's a wonderful assessment of, of just the things that we consider throughout the course of the day. The things we watch, the things we listen to, the conversations we have. Are they things that we would go, man, this is heavenly stuff. This is stuff that's pleasing to God. These are things that, the, that, that, that God would be delighted to be a part of, to be around. If Jesus were sitting in your presence, you, you, you go, I could keep talking about this. I could say, Jesus, watch this show with me. Listen to this music with me. Go to this place with me. But you see, the problem is we convince ourselves that just because we may not see him with us, that somehow he isn't there. No, he goes with you everywhere because of the presence of his Holy Spirit. Everywhere you go, everything you see, everything you talk about, everything you listen to, it's all, he's there by the power of his spirit. And so we need to be about going, Lord, I want to be concerned about the things of you, living for you. I want to be led of the spirit. Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to do today, Lord? How do you want me to act today? How do you want me to function today? Who am I going to see today, Lord? Give me the words to encourage them. Lord, here's my plans for the today. How, how do you want to change them? Do you want me to do things differently today? How can I serve you? Not, well, today's my day, and I want to do this, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do these things, and I'm going to focus on my needs and my wants and my pleasures and the things of this world. To function like Solomon, who in his lack of contentment set out to learn all the things that he could and, and to find that, 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 that in that he was exhausted or to, or to experience all the pleasures that he could and to come to a place where he said, at the end of it all, it was pointless. It's vanity. That fearing God and keeping His commandments, that was man's all. So we cannot serve God if we're about the things of the world. Now don't get me wrong, God blesses us in this life. He has many wonderful things that are a part of His creation that He says, here, He gives us rest, He gives us fellowship, He gives us things to enjoy and the beauty of His creation. But they should come as a product of our focus on Him and His leading in our lives. We cannot serve God if we're about all the things of the world. In fact, whether through complete and utter debauchery or through the seemingly innocent and benign, if focused on this life only in the things of this world, we make ourselves an enemy of God. Allow then the Holy Spirit to give you a new way of thinking. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so the good news is, if the Spirit is in you, then God dwells in you. And you're not an enemy of God. You're being changed. And not only does the Spirit give you a new way of thinking, but He gives you new life, if indeed He is in you. Now, if anyone, continuing on in verse 9, does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not His. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So you see, though this body is perishing, though this body that we have is fading away, the presence of the Holy Spirit within you brings life. It brings life. Some of you who have... Uh, been witnessed to or confronted with death in this life perhaps uh, more than once and, and in some cases that of a believer versus an unbeliever you know the difference 
You know the difference of someone who is, who is at the end of life, but yet they know Jesus and His Holy Spirit indwells them, and though their body is perishing, there is an excitement, there is a peace, there is an understanding that there's more versus the one who has lived their life in such a way that it simply leads to death, and often there is fear, there is agony, there is an attempt to delay, to prevent a desperate attempt oftentimes. And what we must understand, and not only about the, these situations at the, at the end of life, but for us as we live today, we must remember that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you, Christian. This is a wonderful truth that we, I think, so often take for granted. Each and every year we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, and it's something that we should be celebrating every day. But there's this sense, even, even amongst unbelievers, there's an awareness that there's a special day where we consider the fact that our Savior, Jesus Christ, has risen. He is alive. The fact of the matter is, if He were not, we wouldn't be meeting here. We shouldn't be meeting here. There would be nothing to our faith. Paul says that if he's not alive, if he were in fact dead, then we are of all men to be the most pitied. This, our faith is pointless. So the very, the, the very reason we are here today is predicated upon the fact that he is alive. Amen. And, and so we look at that and we think, man, that's a glorious truth. That's the foundation of my faith. But then sometimes we don't really consider the fact that the very power that raised him from the dead is in us. It's in us. And that's one of those things that should cause us to be able to really walk around, not arrogant, but certainly with a level of confidence that says, I'm pretty stinking invincible. You are. I mean, the apostles, they drove people nuts because oftentimes they wouldn't die. Or if they wanted to kill him and threatened to kill him, they'd say, well, bring it on, who cares? Paul said to be absent in body is to be present with Christ. In fact, he, he, he said elsewhere, I'd kind of rather be gone. <laughs> Because I know to be with him is far better. But you guys still need me around. So I guess the Lord's going to continue to use me here. There was a sense of my life is not over with the last breath in this body. And so not only is there a transformative presence when the Spirit dwells in you now, but you will be transformed as he was when you enter into glory. What a promise. And so the presence of the Spirit then serves as an earnest payment, a down payment, if you will, a guarantee of don't worry. Your resurrection's coming. Verse 12, therefore, because of these things then, because of the fact that he has, he has changed the way that you are thinking and he has uh, given new life into this dying body, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he says that, that because of what God has done through His Spirit, giving you a new way of thinking, giving you new life, and liberating you, now you're called to a new set of priorities. A new way of living. You're called to live differently now. To allow the presence of the Spirit in your life to put to death the things of the flesh in your life. Now that's an important principle there that I want you to hear again that you allow the presence of the Spirit in your life to put to death the things of the flesh in your life. Because many will say to you, you need to crucify the flesh. Maybe you've been struggling in something. Maybe there's this, this sin that continues to just be uh, a dominant force in your life and someone with, with good intentions will say, you need to crucify that. Crucify the flesh. But that idea brings us right back to the same stinking thinking that Paul's been dealing with from the beginning. 
Because you now said, I got to do this. But the fact of the matter is, Christian, you can't crucify your flesh. And you don't need to because he's already done it. Jesus has already done it. He did it for you. What we are called to do is let the Holy Spirit work in our lives and simply focus on him and loving him more. The more we struggle with sin, the more we focus on it. And oftentimes then less on him and less on his work and less on what he has accomplished and less on the truth of the gospel and just more on I'm trying harder and I'm trying harder and I'm trying harder. And we bring ourselves right back into that works-based righteousness. He has done the work. Focus more on him and love for him. Psalm 37 verses 3 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. It does not say trust in yourself and work really hard. Dwell in the land and plant things and really try to produce your own fruit. Delight in yourself and in your desires and force God to come along. Commit to yourself. Trust in yourself. You bring it to pass. This is what our world tells us. This is what you're, you're hearing on a regular basis. You do it. You've got it. You can handle this. Trust in yourself. Believe in yourself. And these are well-intentioned phrases, but they're lies. And I'm sorry to be discouraging this morning and be that pastor that says these things, but don't believe in yourself. Don't trust in yourself. For crying out loud, please don't follow your heart. It's deceitfully wicked. Who should know it? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is what? Destruction, death. No, this is a wonderful thing. This is the motivational poster we need. Jesus, you did it. You, Lord. I'm going to delight in you, and you'll give me the desires of my heart. Lord, I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to trust you, and you'll bring it to pass. You'll do the work, Lord. And what a, what a blessing. What a promise. What a, what a free... The, the, the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit is, is freedom. This should be, these, these should be words of freedom to you today, especially those of you who are saying, man, I've been trying so hard and just failing. And God's saying, you don't have to do this. I've taken you off the hook. Just love me. Just follow me. Learn to love God more. Learn to worship Him more. Spend time in His Word, time with His people. Let Him by His Spirit put to death your flesh. Guys, that's the pattern for discipleship. You want to know how to grow in Christ? He tells us over and over again in His Word. We know that we are called as believers to fulfill the Great Commission, which is a, a practice of making disciples. What is a disciple? Somebody who follows him, somebody who, who listens, who considers him their teacher, learns from him. And so we are called to fulfill that, fulfilling the Great Commission right there, making disciples of Christ. And with that then, we, we know that we are, we are how, how, how do we do that? Well, he's given us the Great Commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And how do we go about doing that? Well, he's given us the great requirement in Micah 6 8. To do what? Love justice. What else? Finish it for me. Say it louder. Okay? Justice, mercy, humility. That's how we go about doing it, right? 
And so, and you see it every week right here, exalt, equip, engage. What does that mean? I shared this with the men yesterday. We've been prayerfully considering, do we add some more to that so it makes a little bit more sense? Because sometimes you see this and you go, exalt, equip, engage. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It's a pattern for discipleship. Exalt, learn to love God. Love Him. Worship Him. The fact that you are here right now, praise the Lord. Because within our church, Sundays and Wednesdays are our opportunity to come together and to worship collectively to learn, to, to, to practice loving God more. Doing so amongst the body of believers. Equip, learn to love his word. Be equipped through the teaching of his word. Participate in this and in home groups and Bible studies and your own personal devotional life. And then engage, learn to love other people. Spend time loving the body of Christ. Spend time loving then as an outpour of that, the community that you're a part of. That's the process. Learn to love God more, worship Him more, spend time in His Word, time with His people. Let Him, again, by His Spirit, put to death your flesh. The more you do that, the more victory you'll have. There's never a person that I meet with from an accountability perspective, never a person that comes to me and says, says uh, that, that, they're, that they're struggling with this or they're, they're dealing with this area where we can't go through that process and go, okay, here's what's missing. And inevitably it will be, well, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been in church. I haven't been spending time amongst other believers. I haven't been spending time in the Word. I haven't been spending time worshiping God. It's all right there. And remember then that you no longer belong to this world. You are no longer under the condemnation of the law. You have been freed, but not just freed to be on your own, but you now belong to Him. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Holy smokes, that's incredible. A child of God? Yes. That's what Scripture tells us. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You didn't receive it. It's not about coming again back under bondage and oh, I, I can't do this and, and, and what about this and what about that? No, you've been freed from all that. Not bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, you have been adopted. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We're going to camp out on this truth for a moment here. The presence of the Holy Spirit in you, Christian, makes you a son or daughter of the Creator God of the universe, the Most High King. You are owned by someone who owns it all. Do you live your life that way? Do you live your life with the knowledge of that truth that, that you are the son or the daughter of the one who is over all things? You've been adopted and that means you are an heir, a full heir to all of the rights and privileges. Scripture tells us that He has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. It means, again, that your Father, the one who owns it all, says, you're mine. It means that the Spirit within you can cry out, Father, in a sense that God is a parent who cares for you, whom you have a close, familial relationship with. That the way that Jesus looks to the Father can be the way that you look to Him. And He is the perfect Father. The Spirit of God has liberated you, has given you a new mindset, a new life, new priorities, a new identity. This is sanctification. It's transformation. It is the means of living a victorious life. But the Spirit must dwell within you. Two things as we begin to close. One, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then these promises are not for you. 
Not something that you can't have, but they are not for you. Absent the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which happens upon salvation, these promises aren't for you. But rest assured, the Holy Spirit is with you, drawing you into repentance, especially if today you're here, you're watching online, and you're feeling a a conviction of the Holy Spirit and saying, yeah, that's me. Well, then the Holy Spirit is there drawing you under repentance, saying, yes, this is you. Open your eyes, open your ears, listen. He's moving and working. And when you come to that place when you say, okay, I don't want to live life for myself anymore. I don't want to live my life this way anymore. Lord, I want to live for you. God, I know that you love me, that you gave your son for me, that I needed him to die for my sins. I am a sinner. Father, forgive me. Come into my life. My life is yours then these things become yours. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within you and does the very work that's described here in Romans 8. And not just that, but the Holy Spirit comes upon you, empowering you, giving you an equipping to do just that and to do it with joy. But Christian, you're not off the hook either because here's what also is necessary. When it says that the Spirit must dwell within you, this word dwell speaks of being at home. Being at home. Now, those of you who have invited anyone into your home, you know the difference between somebody who you really feel like, hey, this is your home, you mean it. When you say make yourself at home, you're like, yes, versus that person where you're like, you better not be staying long. You know the difference. And some people you may even say, make yourself at home, but they go to sit in your chair and you're like, oh, man. No, you see, I, I sit there. Oh, okay, right? And maybe that person's holding back. They're like, well, I don't know where to sit at the table here. You let you t- yeah, yeah, thank you. Good, good. I like to remain in control here. After all, you're in my home, right? That person comes to you, you say, make yourself at home, and they wander into your bedroom. The door is shut, but they just go in. They're like, I want to check it out. And you're like, whoa, uh-uh. That's my space, right? You don't get to go in there. Stop it. You get the picture, right? That person, even though you said make yourself at home, they are not truly at home. The person who is at home gets to go anywhere they want, eat anything they want, sit anywhere they want. And the same must be true of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we are really good at saying, come on in, Holy Spirit, make yourself at home, but oh, don't sit there. No, no, you can't go into that room. You see, because my sin is in there and I like it, and I don't want you to see it, and I'd like to keep that for myself, and so you just go on away. And you see, the Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. He will not force his way in. He will listen. And he will listen to you when you say go. And he will make his way back to the room where he was told he could stay. He won't leave you. I'm not going to go on aberrant doctrine here. He's still there. But he's going to be very respectful of saying, I won't invade that space. And so you will be successful at that point then in quenching the Holy Spirit in your life, sending him back to where you want to keep him. And you can go on into that room and continue in your sin and then you'll grieve him as he sits there in that little space you've carved out for him and just grieves over, man, if they just give me access, if they just let me in, I could do this work in their life, bring true freedom, allow them to see what life can be like. And so if we want this, guys, we've got to let him have full access, every part, to say, God, I know it's going to be a little painful when you look under that bed, but it's time for it to go. So you got it. Amen? Paul finishes his thought here by saying, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And some of you may have seen this and, and, and thought, man, don't finish that verse, right? If indeed we suffer with him, feels like there's a catch. 
Now, Paul will deal with this more in the next section. We'll tackle it next Sunday. But the gist is this. Paul essentially says it's part of the package. With freedom, a new mindset, a new life, new priorities, a new identity, the promise of glorification and inheritance beyond your comprehension comes suffering in this life because this is a fallen and sinful world that you've been delivered from and that is not your home. And so the suffering of today, he will say, is not to be compared with the glory that awaits you. And we must remember, as we will hear shortly, that it was his suffering that made all of this possible. And so we join with him in it, just as we sang this morning. This is a great segue to our time of communion. New life, new purpose, new identity. All of it, it was not free. It came at a cost. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. He did that, not us. We are the recipients of his amazing grace. And we have the opportunity to remember that today. You'll have the opportunity to come forward and receive the communion elements. What I would challenge you with this morning is exactly how Paul challenges us in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 27. He says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I would invite all those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who are in right relationship with him today, to come forward and receive the elements to return to your seat to continue in prayer and worship and we'll take together once all have had the opportunity but to those who really need to examine their hearts all of us should examine but to those who come to the conclusion that I've yet to surrender my life or maybe there's something in my life I need to deal with the amazing thing is just as I've described throughout this message you have the ability to do that right now and if you're at a place where you feel like I don't know that I can come forward and take because I've never given my life to Christ well then do it now Cry out to him and surrender your life to him now and take communion with a right heart. If you've got sin in your life that you haven't given him access to, if you know there's a part of my life I've said, Lord, get out, then pray in this time and just say, Lord, it's yours. I'm done. I'm sorry. Let's pray together. Father, we do give you thanks this morning for your word, for our time together. Now, Lord, as we look to communion to remember you in this practice, Lord, we ask that you would ready our hearts. If not already, Lord, that you would so move here in these next few moments, Lord, to bring us to a place where we are right before you. And so move on the hearts of those here, Lord. You know our hearts, you know our minds, you know right where we're at. We're trusting your Holy Spirit to work here now. Bless our time, Lord, and may it be pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.